Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm so glad that you are connecting with us. Shout out to everyone watching over in the video venue or online around the world, wherever you are connecting with us. We are so glad that you are here. We are wrapping up our Compelled series, part five of our Compelled series. If you missed any of the the previous messages, go to onechurch.tv or download the app. You can catch up on all those. Last week, Pastor Chris was in the early part of Acts 15. Uh, We really talked about how easy it is to kind of drift off of mission. You know, we're compelled to live out this call Jesus has put on our life. That is to tell people about him and, and the great thing he's done for us and his gift that he's given to us of life and salvation and all that just comes with following Jesus. We're compelled to live out that mission in spite of the obstacles, in spite of what comes our way. And it's really easy as a church when you're supposed to be about reaching people to drift into the keeping people mindset. And so if you missed that talk last week, go onechurch.tv and catch up with that. This week, we're going to talk about being compelled to follow, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We're going to touch a little bit of the end of Acts 15, but we're going to be primarily in Acts chapter 16, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. Any Karate Kid fans in the house? I love the Karate Kid movies. The first two. I I pretend the third one didn't happen, but I I love Karate Kid 1, Karate Kid 2. If you're not familiar with the story, first of all, what is wrong with you? This is the United States of America. You should be familiar with the Karate Kid movies. If not, go look them up. They're phenomenal. Great 80s movies, right? Great story of a bullied kid who turns to the wise Okinawan karate master sage to learn all these life lessons and and beat up the bullies. Now I'm thinking about it. It's kind of like a revenge movie, and I don't know if Daniel is the good guy or the bad guy. Uh, We can talk about that in small group maybe, but I love the Karate Kid movies. I love the wisdom of Mr. Miyagi. One, one of the themes he teaches Daniel, who is the Karate Kid, one thing he teaches him is that not everything is as it seems. It's kind of a recurring theme in these movies. When Daniel first goes for karate lessons from Mr. Miyagi, he, Mr. Miyagi basically gives him four days of back-breaking work. So maybe the Karate Kid is more of like a slavery movie. I don't know. But he basically puts this kid to work for free. Uh, he makes him wax about six cars, sand, uh, I think it's in part two, he sands hundreds of square feet of deck. He makes him paint a fence. He makes him paint the house. He does all of this work. And when Daniel gets so mad because he just wants to learn karate, he finally explodes in his anger um, and, and yells and screams, what am I doing all this work for? He gets into a uh, bent out of shape. And then Mr. Miyagi finally reveals to him how all of his hard work had not only been getting him in physical shape, but it had been teaching him much needed technique. All of the sudden, wax on, wax off, and paint the fence, and side to side, and paint the house, and sand the floor, and all of these movements, all of a sudden he realizes they are techniques after all. Not everything is as it seems. Daniel only knew what was right in front of him. That's all he could see was right in front of him. He saw work. He saw struggle. But Mr. Miyagi had vision. Daniel could see, but Mr. Miyagi is the one who really had vision. Have you ever found yourself struggling in life, going through a struggle, wondering, what is the point of all of this? You ever had just a bunch of mess happen in your life and you actually say out loud, what was that all about? Like, why am I going with that? Maybe it's just the, the mundane rhythm of your job is just beating you up or the daily grind of domestic life, that slow hustle just as you're trying to make ends meet. You ever found yourself just focusing on what's in front of you so much? It's one thing to have sight. 
It's a completely different thing to have vision. Bill Hybels, he said that vision is a picture of a future that produces passion in you. That's what vision is. A picture of the future that produces passion in you. Sometimes we can get so caught up with right here what's in front of us that we don't see what's down the road, and so we don't have passion. We can't persevere like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And unfortunately, many of us, because of a lack of vision, we just quit. But here's an awesome truth about God that I've discovered. God wants the best for you more than you want your best for you. Did you know that? Now, I'm not saying your best and God's best are going to be the same thing. That's not, that's not the kind of party we're at today. I'm not telling you that. What I'm saying is that God's ways are better. His vision for us and for our lives is bigger than any dream, any future that we could imagine. And when we commit our plans to the Lord, like the Bible tells us to, he is able to do some really, really great things in us and through us. His vision for our lives involves us being faithful what's right in front of us because it's not just about that little trial. There's something bigger ahead for us. And so that's our big idea today is this. God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. God is preparing you today. What are you going through today? I'm proposing to you that what you're going through today, God is actually using to prepare you for your tomorrow, if you'll let him, if you'll participate. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 15 and 16. We're going to look at how Paul and Silas, these two characters we're seeing all throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see how they were compelled to follow God's vision in spite of what they wanted to do, how they persevered, and ultimately how God ends up doing some really awesome things in and through their life. So bear with us today. We're going to read a lot of scripture, but I don't think there's such a thing as too much uh, Bible when we're in a church service talking about this. So we're not going to be able to break down every single verse, every single word. We'd be here all day for that, but it's a lot of Bible we're going to go through, but I promise we're going to break it down, take it in bite-sized chunks so that we can kind of see what we learn from each of these sections. Sound good? All right, let's jump in. Acts chapter 15. We're going to finish chapter 15 out just for some context. Verse 36 and 41 says this. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. So as we've learned, Paul went on a journey. He came back from the journey. He reported to the church of Jerusalem, reported to everyone. Here's what's going on. Here's what's happening in the church. We talked about some of this last week. So they hung around there for a while. Then Paul says, hey, let's go back and see what's up with these churches we've started. Verse 37, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now, this passage of scripture could be its own standalone sermon on conflict, on problems with friends, on disagreements, on how to have a good fight. We could talk about this for a long time. We just don't have that kind of time today. I really wish we did. Well, we got to get into chapter 16. But let me just say, this is a very ironic 
passage of scripture because what's happening here is Paul wants to go on another mission, another journey, and Barnabas is kind of his right-hand man. They're co-workers at the time. They're, they're doing things together. Remember, Barnabas is the one who gave Paul, uh, maybe you don't remember, so Paul, before he finds Jesus, he was in the business of killing Christians and having Christians killed. Paul meets Jesus. Barnabas was the first person who kind of embraced Paul as a brother and introduced him to the rest of the church. So for lack of better words, Barnabas was kind of Paul Paul's ambassador in the early days. People didn't really trust Paul, but Barnabas showed confidence in him. So they go on a mission. Barnabas, his cousin John Mark, he ends up kind of flaking out. We don't know the details of it, but what we do know is Paul was passionate. I don't want that guy with us on this next trip because we can't have that kind of weakness, that kind of behavior with us when we go on. And so these friends end up parting over a disagreement. And the irony is Paul failed to show John Mark the same grace that God had shown him through Barnabas. Paul, in this moment, this kind of exposes a little chink in his character and his integrity at the time. And so what we can learn from that is that your level of maturity is determined in part by how you react to those whom you perceive are less mature than you. i say that again. Your level of maturity is determined in part by how you react to those who you perceive as being less mature than you. Paul is being a little bit immature in his leadership and in his faith right now in how he's treating John Mark. This shows us that Paul, even though he's done great things on that first trip, he's not where God wants him to be yet. Paul's got some learning to do. He's got some developing to do. He's got some growth to do. And so this separation from Barnabas becomes a catalyst for God to speed up some of these life lessons Paul's going to learn that are eventually going to help him later on down the road. You still with me? All right, now let's look in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted to teach him, excuse me, Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Now, Timothy is a very important character in the life of Paul. Scholars will argue that Timothy becomes Paul's greatest disciple. In fact, the last written words we have from the Apostle Paul, guess who he wrote them to? Timothy. His disciples. So this is an important moment in biblical history. This is an important moment in the history of the church. Paul gets rid of one young guy he perceives to be immature, and look how God responds to Paul. He gives him another young, immature guy. So it's like God's showing Paul right away, you're not going to escape this leadership development thing, man. You're not going to escape having to mentor these young whippersnappers, Paul. Get over it. You're going to have them in your life. So as soon as he cuts ties with John Mark, no, I need mature people, God puts on his heart young Timothy. And so Paul takes Timothy along with him. Let's fast forward to verse 6 of Acts 16. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia, then Galatia, because the Holy Spirit had what? Prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, what happened? The spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Interesting. So instead, they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that 
God was calling us to preach the good news there. So this is an account from Luke, writing here in Acts, telling us about this crazy journey that they're having. They leave, and they wanted to go back to all of the churches to check on them. Remember, that was the original mission. Hey, let's go back and see how all the believers are doing. They wanted to go to Asia, but what happened? The Holy Spirit prevented them. Then they wanted to go again, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them. Finally, Paul has this vision where someone's calling with him, and he says, it ends up saying that God was calling us to go to this new place. What do we learn from Paul in that brief passage of Scripture? I think there's three quick things we learn before we move on the rest of this chapter. First thing is, like the big idea said, God is preparing you today for your tomorrow, so cooperate with God's plan. Cooperate with God's plan. Don't resist what God is trying to do. Instead, cooperate with him. The next thing we learn is never ask God twice for what he said no to once. God told Paul one time, you're not going to go, and he tried again to go into Asia. Then the dream comes and the man comes. So that's a dangerous ground for us to keep asking when we know this is clearly not what we're supposed to do. So never ask God twice for what he said no to once. I believe when we ask God for things in prayer, he gives us four answers. Yes, no, not right now, and my favorite answer, something better. And most of the times when we ask God for something, the something better answer is the one he wants to push us to. Because again, his ways are better than our ways. He knows more than, he wants better for us than we could ever want. So we have to be patient in that. And this all connects with God's ultimate calling for Paul. The third thing we learn is that you find your calling in the vision. You discover your calling when you walk into the vision. God gives Paul a vision to go to Macedonia. And here's where Paul is going to step into the big picture of what God really wants to do in him and through him. Up until this point, Paul is just going from place to place, planting churches, and it's not really working for him. In fact, he's getting beaten up and run out of town multiple times. He's not really developing leaders. He's not really developing teams. People are coming to know Jesus, but it's very fragmented at best. And this moment is a shift in how God is going to use Paul, but it involves Paul going through some stuff, God preparing him for what he has. And this really doesn't take place until Paul really steps into what God has for him. Paul was compelled by God to follow the vision of God into Macedonia, and it sets the stage for something I think is truly amazing. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, Luke says this. Luke says this in the book of Acts. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across there from Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. All of us uh, intellectual academic types love this writing of Paul. The rest of humanity wants him to just get to the point, but I love all the details of the cities and everything. Verse 12, from there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia in a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who'd gathered there, and one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home, and she urged us until we agreed. 
Now, we read past that very fast looking through the book of Acts. We don't understand these Greek towns and these people, but this is really cool in the world of Bible. You ever uh, heard of the most famous Bible verse in the world, right? John 3.16, we know that one. Anyone know the second most famous Bible verse? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? I would argue that's probably the second most popular verse in the world, thanks to our man Tim Tebow, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthened for me. That was written by the Apostle Paul from jail to a church that he helped start. Guess what church that was? Philippi. And guess who the first member of the church of Philippi was? Lydia. Really cool how it all comes together. So this is a critical moment, this beginning of this church in Macedonia. That never would have happened if Paul had his way, by the way, because Paul wanted to go to Asia. God said no twice, sends him to Macedonia. So here's what's really cool about this story. Two things we remember from the intro here is that God confirms the vision when we respond to the call. Paul had to say yes. Even though God compelled him, Paul still had to respond to what God wanted to do. And look at what God does for Paul immediately upon showing up. Boom, church is started. The first group of people they talk to, God opens their heart and begins to set him up for some success. Come and stay at my home. So God not only provides for them new believers, he provides for them lodging and a place to meet and a place for the church to start. I just think that that's really awesome that the church of Philippi basically started in the home of a woman named Lydia. All because Lydia was in the right place. And that's the second thing. The spiritual practices set the stage for life change. Lydia worshiped God. She really wasn't sure who she was worshiping yet, but she was probably connected to the God of the Hebrews. She worshiped God, and God, in that moment, she was there where people prayed, and it was her being in the right place, and Paul and Silas being in the right place that sets the stage for God to do something great in them. That's why we gather on Sundays. I think spiritual practices like coming together on a Sunday set the stage for God to do something really big in our lives. Okay, now, here's where we're going to hang out for the rest of our time. Verse 16 of Acts 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got exasperated. Then he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And instantly, what happened? It left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in uproar because of these Jews, they shouted at the city officials. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That escalated quickly. This keeps happening to Paul, doesn't it? We saw this a couple weeks ago. He preaches, and the next thing you know, they're stoning him and leaving him for dead. He preaches, the next thing you know. So it looks like the same pattern is repeating itself. It looks like, if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, here we go again. I'm just trying to get my Jesus on, and every time they beat me up and they take my clothes off, why'd you have to steal my shoes, man? I didn't do it. You know, they just, they beat him up and leave him for dead. In this case, they ordered him stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Verse 23, they were severely beaten. Any of you ever been severely beaten? 
severely beaten. We read through the scripture a little too fast, and this is important for us to get. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Some scholars argue that the place where Paul and Silas were clamped to was basically right above the latrines. So not only were they naked and severely beaten and bruised, they were in the innermost part of the dungeon where all of the latrines flowed right underneath their feet. Talk about being in a crappy situation, right? Pun intended. Terrible. In this story, there's several players. We're going to unpack all that. That was a lot of Bible, I know. There's several players in this story. You have Paul and Silas, the fortune-telling girl, the jailer, the city officials, the masters, the mob, the crowd, not the mafia, but the crowd, the mob. Each and every one of these people will be directly affected by Paul and Silas's response to this situation. This is what God was leading Paul to. This is one of those moments where things are going to change and how God uses the suffering of Paul in hard times to lead towards what his future ministry is going to be like. The story starts with a demon-possessed girl. She's harassing Paul. She's basically, the devil is trying to steal Paul's thunder by giving the spoilers. So Paul's just walking down the road, and she's like, he's with Jesus, he's with Jesus. He's going to tell you how to be saved. And Paul's like, man, I spent hours on this sermon, and you're just giving it all away. No, he didn't do that. But he basically casts the demon out of the girl. She is healed, and her bosses lose money, so they start the big riot. Day after day, she harasses them. And how Paul responded to the situation was awesome. You ever been just minding your own business, trying to do the right thing, trying to do what God wants you to do, and then bam, life hits you out of nowhere. Car breaks down. You just finished FPU, washing machine broke, right? Just had an awesome weekend with your kids. They go to school Monday, boom, come home, note from the principal. They apparently set a desk on fire, right? Someone does you wrong, day after day, problems come, and usually we get exasperated. We flip out. We want to go crazy. But before we flip out or go off or flip someone off, we have to remember that someone is watching us. Someone is always watching us. And I'm not trying to scare you and say, God is watching. That's not what this is. I'm not saying that. But people are watching you. If you say you're in Christ, if you say you follow Jesus, people are watching you. If you don't follow Christ, people are watching you. People pay attention to what you do. They absolutely do. And so Paul, knowing that what he does and how he responds matters, he makes a decision to respond to this demon-possessed girl. Even though he was exasperated, Paul makes a decision to respond to her with Jesus. Bible tells us to let our light shine so that people can see our good works and then praise God in heaven. So to let your light shine is to just be aware that we represent Jesus wherever we are. And so we can't fight negativity with negativity. We can't fight that meanness with meanness. There was one preacher, he said, you can determine a person's worth by what it takes to discourage them. Paul doesn't get discouraged by this constant harassing. Instead, he chooses to follow God, remember why God has him there, and he speaks Jesus to this girl, knowing that the Jesus in him is greater than this harassing girl. And we have to know that Jesus in us is greater than the mess around us. So Paul, he didn't let out verbal abuse and go off on this girl. He didn't stick his head in the sand and ignore the problem. He gave her 
what she needed, which is Jesus. This is preparation for Paul's future. This is preparation for the kind of ministry expansion God's going to do in him. And this is what God is calling us to do. How we respond to God's vision, how we respond to those adverse situations matter because someone is watching us and because someone is listening to us. Here's what's cool. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were what? Listening. Do you know that medically, listening to soothing music can reduce pain, physical pain? Music can literally relax you to sleep. The wrong type of music and sounds can actually invoke, invoke aggression and bring about illness. When I'm lifting weights, I am not listening to uh, Oceans and Hillsong, nice flowery music. I'm listening to the hardest, most intense music I can because I need to be aggressive. I need to be mad. I'm beating my body into shape. I'm throwing around heavy weight, right? When I, I'm not in there listening to something soothing. I don't go to the gym to be soothed. I go to other things to do that, but not to the gym to be soothed. So music matters. What you listen to matters. What we listen to has a huge impact on our lives. And here's the truth. Someone is listening to you. The words that come out of your mouth when the proverbial feces hits the fan in your life, someone is listening to you. Usually the same people who are watching you. Someone is listening to what's going on. So Paul and Silas, they're in jail. They, they're in this dungeon, beaten and bloody. There are other prisoners in there who'd probably been in there for quite some time, thrown away, left for dead. I'm sure all of them are in pain. All of them are hungry. All of them are in darkness. Everyone in that jail at the time needed hope. They were all in a dark place, and they needed hope. Could you imagine the story if it went like this? Paul and Silas were in jail, and they turned to one of their prisoners and said, man, this is so terrible. I don't deserve to be in here. The man's always trying to get me, man, but they're not going to keep me down. You know, we need to up. You know, what if he started just complaining? Man, give me some space. You know, it's hot in here. It stinks, man. Don't be crowding me. What if, what if they responded with negativity? What would have happened in this story? What's crazy is that beaten and bloody and bruised, Paul and Silas start singing. They start singing. I'm going to put them on blast because he stepped out of the room, but one of our staff members, Seth, who does our first impressions, he's the Paul and Silas of our, our, of our office. The dude doesn't stop singing songs like all of the time. As I, I might want to be in a bad mood, and I can't be in a bad mood for 10 seconds because he's going to come by singing one song and leave singing another song. I asked him one day, like, bro, you got to stick to one song. Please, man. Like, you're putting all these songs in my head. Now I can't focus because I'm singing this one and this one. And he just does his thing, always singing. It's so awesome because uh, I'm not always that guy. You know, I may not be Mr. Sunshine and Rainbows all of the time, right? Um, Song I'm singing is Michael Jackson's Leave Me Alone most of the time in my head, to be honest. Uh, so I need someone singing that upbeat song, being positive. These guys are singing. I wonder what kind of joy they brought those guys in that hopeless place. I wonder what kind of peace they brought into that jail. The prisoners were listening so clearly. And I, so I, I believe that the, the singing ha couldn't have been negative if they were singing about God. And, and it's just awesome to see how that changed everything for them. I bet you they were listening to Paul and Silas because they were receiving hope. Have you ever thought about how your outward joy can be a blessing and an encouragement to someone else? You're in the middle of your junk, and sometimes we can only see what's in front of us, but God has something bigger in his vision for us. And the junk we're in is going to be something big for someone else if we would just participate 
in that process. Someone is watching, someone is listening. And like we learned a couple weeks ago, someone is waiting. You remember that? Some will, some won't. So what? Someone is waiting. Someone is waiting for us. Verse 26, let's finish it up. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoner had, prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. I'm sure there was at least one prisoner who's like, bro, what are you doing? Like we could have got away. Paul being a little snitch. Hey, we're still here. Anyway, verse 29, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What, what a question to ask, right? Had Paul preached any sermons in that prison that we know of? I don't know. But all I knew is that God used Paul casting out that demon, them getting beaten and arrested, locked in a dungeon, Paul and Silas responding properly. God shows up performs a miracle, and that sets the stage for the jailer who was just about to kill himself, not to say, hey, guys, don't tell anybody, not to say, okay, guys, get back in your chains, but to say, what must I do to be saved? That is the power of following Jesus. Sometimes, just in how you respond to situations, someone is going to come to you and say, please tell me why you have so much peace. Why are you so happy? Why aren't you freaking out like the rest of us? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now that means everyone in your household also believe. That's the way the language reads. He's not saying, hey, once you're saved, your whole family will be saved by osmosis. That's not what that means. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately what? Baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What a really cool story. Paul runs into opposition, runs into adversity, responds to the call of God. He's compelled to follow God, even in spite of the trials. And every step of obedience that Paul takes towards God's plan results in someone else taking a step towards Jesus. We see this girl delivered of a demon. We see prisoners set free. We see a jailer in his entire household saved. We see the church of Philippi quite literally born in this city, all because Paul and Silas chose to respond to adversity by following God. They said yes to God's vision, and it changed everything for them. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? Three things. First, no matter what you are going through, follow God. One pastor said, don't let what's wrong with people keep you from focusing on what's right with God. Don't let what's wrong with church keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from remembering how God sees you and who God says you are and who God has called you to be. No matter what you face, follow 
God. My parents are both with Jesus now. They both passed away, and it's one of the core values of our family. God first. We don't say that as some trite cliche. It is truly when all else fails and everything falls away, and it has for our family multiple times, we know that God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us, and the same God who saved us back then is able to save us right now if we just keep taking steps towards him. Man, I am preaching better than y'all are responding to me. Follow God. Follow God no matter what. Has anything else ever helped you? Really? When you were down, when you were broken, when you were hurting, when you were lost, when you needed something, has anything else that you have tried ever brought you an ounce of the peace that God has? No. And for those of you who are here who aren't following Jesus, let me just tell you, there's a reason you're here, because you're looking for something. And I propose that something is this God, this Jesus that we're talking about. So no matter what you're going through, follow God. The spiritual practices, they set the stage for this story. Think about the trajectory. It was prayer. It was service. It was community. All of those things set the stage for this awesome miracle, for awesome life change. So don't neglect gathering together in community group on Sunday mornings. Don't neglect helping other people who are in need by giving them what they need. They need Jesus. They need love. They need all of those great things. Second thing is to worship while you wait. Worship while you wait. What do I mean by that? Listen, none of us are where we want to be. None of us are really where God wants us to be. We're all on a journey. We're all taking steps towards God. And we can become real impatient when we want God to do something for us right now. We want it fixed right now. We want to get out of the situation right now. Forget the fact that we took 10 years to get all busted up. We expect the overnight fix. It doesn't work like that. So while we're waiting on this journey, what can we do? Worship. So we learned from Paul and Silas, right? God, you call us to Macedonia, but somehow, again, we ended up beaten, again. We ended up with no clothes on, again. And we ended up in jail, again. It's the story of Paul's life. So here I am, Lord, again, might as well worship. Might as well worship. And this time, I mean literally sing. Say the words of God. Sing the songs that are going to set the atmosphere for you to focus on God. You can follow our OneChurch.tv worship team on Facebook. We post the set lists of these songs. We've got Spotify playlists. You can come to anyone on the staff and say, I need some Jesus songs in my life. We will hook you up with some atmosphere-setting songs so when the junk hits the fan in your life, while you're waiting for God to show up, while you're working like it depends on you, praying like it depends on God, you can actually worship. Are you stressed out at work? Stop listening to stressful talk radio on your drive into work. Worship. Frustrated and feel alone at work? Just go sit in your car and listen to all by myself. Worship. Worship while you wait. The third thing we can do is to choose faith over sight. Bible says we, sh we walk by faith and not by sight. Billy Graham, you know, passed away. His funeral was a couple days ago. And I was listening to some of his old sermons. And he went off about faith one day. It was really awesome. He basically is telling this massive crowd, everything you do is by faith. Everything. He said, you sat down in that plastic chair by faith. You didn't know if it was going to hold you. Someone told you it was supposed to hold you, but you believed it. You flip the light switch. And he starts giving all these examples of this is the life we live. So Billy Graham was basically saying, don't tell me you don't have the faith to believe in Jesus. You had the faith that your car would start. 
You had the faith that your water wasn't going to be poisoned when you drank some out of your, your faucet today. You can trust God. So we walk by faith, not by That's putting our hope in what we cannot yet see. Trusting God by remembering his promises and following him with our attitude and our behavior. That's what Paul does. God called him, so he's walking by faith. God, I don't know why you're sending me there or why we're going out there, but I'm going to choose to trust you. There's another scene in The Karate Kid that I love. It's when Daniel's on this boat practicing balance. And Daniel is so anxious to learn how to punch and attack. But up until that point, most of his training had just been about blocking and balance. And and so Mr. Miyagi explains to him that Daniel, balance is everything in karate. It doesn't matter how aggressive or how skilled you are. If you can't stay on your feet, you lose. I think he would tell us today, It doesn't matter how much we want to do things for Jesus. If every time we run into adversity, we get knocked on our butt and quit, what's the point of knowing all of that stuff? So in the movie, they're on this boat, and Miyagi rocks the boat, and Daniel falls into the water, and all of a sudden, he gets the lesson. See, Mr. Miyagi had been emphasizing to Daniel, look, karate is for defense only, for self-defense only. It's not about fighting. And so Daniel yells at Mr. Miyagi, then why do you even train? Why do you even learn all this stuff? And the answer is brilliant. He tells Daniel, we do this so we don't have to fight. That's why we learn all this stuff, so that we don't have to, so we can respond the right way. We put our trust in God so that we don't have to go out there and try to save people. We don't have to go out there and try to fix the situations on ourselves. We learn how to tap into the truth source. God wants the best for you way more than you want your best. His vision for your life involves you being faithful to what's right in front of you, especially in times of adversity. God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Help us to trust you. Help us to live for you. And God, more than all of that, thank you for saving us, for calling us to you. I pray if there's a person here right now who has not yet said yes to you, God, that they would do that. That they would say, Lord, I've tried to do it on my own. Forgive me. Help me, God, to be who you've called me to be. And I know as they pray out to you, God, you do what only you could do. You save in a mighty way. Help us to trust you. Help us to live for you. Help us in the times of adversity, God, to be faithful to your word, to trust you, and know, God, that you will continue to work all those things out that we're facing. Give us vision. God, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you so much for the privilege you give us to be your people. Help us to worship well in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.